Hey, it's Kev Rogers here, and big announcement. We've got our first live event for Copy Chief coming up in October, October 9th and 10th. It's Copy Chief Live, the copywriting event of the year. And guess what? John is our keynote speaker. And not only that, but he is going to jam with the band on the second night. So we're finally going to get to hear John rock the house with that guitar strapped around his neck. It's no coincidence that John writes with such rhythm in his copy. You ever notice how John's copy just dances around inside your head as you read it? Well, it's all connected, and John is going to teach us, take us backstage in this episode on how he writes with such rhythm and such a lyrical quality. And then we're going to learn it, and then we're going to feel it during his keynote talk and his live jam October 9th and 10th at Copy Chief Live. If you want to be at the event, Don't miss out. There's only a few tickets left. Go to copychief.live forward slash Carlton. Copychief.live forward slash Carlton. Buy through that link and we'll know that you're a fan of this show and we'll have something special for you at the event. Hope to see you there. And right now, enjoy a brand new, fresh episode of Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton. And this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Hey, welcome back to Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. It's Kev Rogers here with my man, the partner, the partner. <laughs> That's that's going to be your new moniker, the partner. <laughs> it's John Carlton. What's up, John? Hey, just uh, got back from a two-day golf vacation. I'm relaxed, sunburned, and not ready to go back to work yet. But what the hell? What the hell? This isn't really like work anyway. This is nah, really, really not. How, right. how was the golf? You know, went from started out bad and then to my surprise it got worse no and just you know it's an awful game it's a horrible game as who was it i think winston churchill said golf is a good walk ruined right 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 that's yeah but i I like the game and i have some good friends so it's an excuse to be outside for four or five hours and get sunburned so yeah beautiful Cool, man. Of course, you, you can do that just walking down the street in Florida, right? Oh, yeah. We, have to, we try to avoid sunburn. You just can't go out. <laughs> you see people burst into flames sometimes. Like, Spontaneous combustion. Yeah. yeah. O- older folks will just go, that was it. Ah, there goes another one. <laughs> another empty bench. Yeah, you find the beagle out back eating something with burnt <laughs> ashes. Oh, God. Was, was that grandma next door? Charred flesh. Stop eating oh. charred flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Fun episode today. We're going to talk about some, we're going to talk about rhythm and copywriting. And we're going to also talk about this idea, this concept I've been obsessing on lately about, you know, all of you all the time. And John, in some recent episodes, you know, we've talked about a running theme of the show has been, you know, having adventures, right? 
and yeah. being with friends and how that influences your not only your writing, your copywriting, but your your business decisions and how you go yeah. about doing stuff. And so I have a live event coming up, Copy Chief Live, my first big live event. You've been kind enough to come be a featured speaker. And thank you for that very much, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. We're going to do something really cool. We're going to also, uh, we hired a band and you're going to jam for for folks. And I don't think anybody in this industry, John, has ever seen you play your music before. Well, remember that time after the action seminar, we all sat up in a hotel room. God, there was, I think, everybody, oh, yeah. all the SWS teachers and yeah. everybody. We sat around and I led the group in uh, old Who and Rolling Stone songs and uh, old rock and roll. That was pretty fun. That was a lot of fun. And that, that I think that planted a seed. Just to me, that's there's nothing better in the world than that, right? If I could do yeah. that every night of my life, yeah, um, that was, oh man. And so I we, thought we got shut down. We we were having so much fun. We got <laughs> shut down by the hotel security. They came by and very politely said, "Stop it now!" <laughs> nah, we're not gonna. This is one of those times where you go, don't the other people who who were disturbing have any idea how special this is right now, <laughs> bastard? You can sleep when you're dead. Yeah. So Friday night, what do you think? Yeah. Actually, it was Sunday. <laughs> so I thought uh, there's got to be some way, you know, to look. If I'm going to pay all this money to put on an event, I'm going to I'm going to make it my all my fantasies <laughs> come together in one three day blur. So we're going to get to hear you jam. But the other cool aspect to that is that, you know, as I say in the video for the event, that. The reason you write the way you write, John, is is because of the music, right? If you weren't a guitar player and you didn't obsess on music the way you do, and if you didn't have all those years playing in bar bands, I don't think your writing would, would sound or feel the same. Well, a lot of that was, I, I think being a musician, first of all, has helped a lot of writers. I don't think you need to be a musician, but if you're wondering where the lyrical nature of a, of the best writers that you like where that's coming from if you dig into it i will bet you that most of them are musicians or have had close brushes with music musicianship mm -hmm. and understand how music is made music is a primary communicating tool of humans probably goes back before it does it goes back before the written word so a lot of it was, I think music was a way to <clears throat> memorize things that you needed to know. So you, there were like work songs or there were songs expressing morals for kids, mm. kind of like, you know, Ring Around the Rosie, you know, which is all about the black death. But that's probably not a good example. But black plague, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. So the, you know, but, but, but music is, is very fu fundamental. I think as soon as whatever creature came out of the... Uh, jungle that was the first human you know it was probably bebopping his way out of the jungle saying goodbye to the chimps that weren't coming with him and uh you know doing the keep on trucking dance and <laughs> and and you know and and there was a lot of you know the the, the you know drums and and they there's very ancient instruments i think they learned very early how to whistle and how to create simple um flutes and, and things like that so so music is very primal to us that's a long way around the block to just say it's very primal yeah. but when but it but writing communicating to it one human to another in a sales letter is also very primal that's probably the the next thing that happened after after everybody mm -hmm. left left the jungle was uh 
somebody sold something to somebody. You know, they had to convince them that it was yeah. a better deal. You know, they I like to say they they, you know, salesmanship hasn't changed since the first caveman traded up to a cave with a better view in exchange for a slab of mastodon beef. And you know, that that's how old and how primal this stuff is. So so music, we think about music as being modern, but but if you're a rock and roll fan as I am, rock and roll was meant to be primitive and the best rock in my mind comes from not accomplished musicians, but from the very raw stuff that often is contained in a, in a bar band, for example. I myself became a musician when the Beatles, you know, about a week after the Beatles appeared on Ed Sullivan in 64, we all got together. We figured we, if we're ever going to get a date from any of these girls who are slobbering all over the Beatles, we better, you know, go learn to play an instrument. So some of us went off and played drums. Some of us went off and played guitars. That was me. The, the one kid who was advanced had been, uh, playing accordion for his his entire youth, so he switched from accordion to Vox Continental Organ, and he was a big hit. So he had he had the advantage of actually having a real musical um, education. But the rest of us just had to kind of wing it. We I went from garage bands to playing uh, high school dances, things like that, and then when I got old enough, playing in bars. That's really as far as my my. Uh, ambition took me was to to get good enough really to wow a a bar full of people mm. and my happiest times have been playing sometimes in biker bars with these ugliest nastiest bikers you can ever think of just having the time of their life dancing on the bar top swinging their girls around and you know not hitting each other because they're having so much fun <laughs> and uh, i used to have a rule for the bands i put together to play the toughest biker bars which was any song we chose had to either make them want to shake their booty or cry in their beer <laughs> and it's kind of like that scene from the blues brothers where yeah. they're in the country band and they got to we got to do something and they come up and they play uh stand by your man which makes all these big nasty trucker guys starts you know slobbering and you know crying and and being a lovey-dovey so you know the, the music has that power but for me as a writer, I, I tried to go one level below that. And I was always listening to lyrics. And I was very interested in the lyrics. I'm not a great singer, but I would sing occasionally in bands. And sometimes if I had a three-piece band, I'd be the only singer for the night. So I had to make it work. But I was I knew the lyrics. I just naturally gravitated towards the lyrics. And I think that was because something in me knew I was going to be a writer at some point. So bad lyrics are okay. They carry the melody. Good lyrics, though as we've talked about, like the kind that Mick Jagger, for example, writes, transcend even the melody and are works of art in and of themselves. So rock and roll isn't all just basic, you know, I love you, I want to hold your hand. There, there's a lot of deeper stuff. Like, well, we, we, yeah. I, I, can, I can quote a, a number of songs. Yeah. But the thing that carried over that you were trying to get me to talk about, and it's taken me a while to get there, is the lyrical nature of rock and roll lyrics. And I've always tried to write my ads and I realized I was doing it early on, but it took me a few years to get comfortable before I could actually do it. I write my copy as if they're lyrics to a song. I write them with a melody in mind. Sometimes it's as, base, as basic as ta-da, 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 da-da, da-da, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even know where a lot of this stuff comes from. Other times I've got a song in my head. I do not write while playing music, by the way. A lot of writers do that. Mm -hmm. I need complete silence. So this is all going on in my head in the in the biker bar in my brain. Yeah. 
you know, we're, we're going through this, but I'm doing this. And we got a couple examples I think we'll read, yeah. but did you want to yeah. mention something else? Well, that we got? I, I love what you said. We were talking about this the other day and, and you were talking about, you can't read, was it honky tonk women? Yeah. Uh, you can't read it straight. It's a right. lyric. It's, it's yeah. got the rhythm is baked in and you, you try to read it without it. And it, 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 you really can't be done. Yeah. It's, uh, I met a gin-soaked barroom queen in Memphis. She tried to take me upstairs for a ride. She had to heave me right across her shoulder. I just can't seem to drink her off my mind. Yeah, you can't listen to that without thinking of the song. Without without there's a there's a ba-da, ba-da, ba-da. And in fact, I have a song that I kind of wrote to that mel I a song, a headline that I kind of wrote to that melody. It's not exact, but it was in the back of my head. Should I read it now? Yeah, yeah let me just great. read it now. We'll so th this is a golf ad, and it was, how, how does an out-shaped 55-year-old golfer crippled by arthritis and 71 pounds overweight, blah, blah, blah. That, that's how people read it mostly. But how I read it, how I think a lot of people read it in their minds, unconsciously as they're going through this, is how does an out-of-shape 55-year-old golfer crippled by arthritis and 71 pounds overweight still consistently humiliate PGA pros in head-to-head -head matches by hitting every tee shot further and straighter down the fairway? See, there's, yeah. there's, it, it can be a lyric. I mean, right. and, and th there's a beat. Now, when I'm counseling, when I'm coaching rookie riders or even riders that, that have tr trouble with that kind of flow thing, I'm seeing I, I'm seeing them put too many words, or they're not they're not they haven't got any beats yeah. in their stuff. It's, it, 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 certain words have to have beats. Uh, a lot of times, I will wind up italicizing or bolding or underlining some of the words to help the reader with the beat. Because that's where that italic thing comes in. That's the beat. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's, it's part of that process of carrying the reader through the copy. So if there's also substance to it and there's a little bit of lyricism, then the reader gets hooked. He actually gets hooked on a primal level mm -hmm. where he's reading along to not only find out what goes next, but it's dancing in his head. The, 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 it's, it's lyrical. There's a melody going on in his head. And it's not, as, it's not like a, a very overt. You know, it's, it's still sales copy, but it does follow a certain pattern, a ba-dump, 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 ba-dump. And I'd like to keep it that. And I'll change that all through. I mean, I've got hundreds of those, those kind of beats in my head. But I think the first breakthrough for a lot of writers is to realize that your senses have to dance. They, you know, there's there should be some rhythm there going on. And you, if if you have too many words in there, or you're going off, or you're trying to make the sentence too long, or it's too clunky, that's why I throw in very short sentences. I love having one or two word sentences thrown in, in the yeah. middle of a longer sentence because it it doesn't break things up. What it does is it it punctuates things. It's it's you know it's it helps helps with the the, the melodic nature of the copy. We have other other stuff we can read here. Was there anything else you wanted to yeah. give in? Yeah, no, I just love it. it. It just ties all back to what you said about this being a really baked in part of our our, our human structure, right? What we we respond yeah. to, you know, like you said before, we could talk. We were banging out rhythms to to send warnings, to tell stories, you know, to to conduct hunts. Wow, say that carefully. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, so I, I think it's it's strange to me when I read writing that doesn't have sort of a lyrical yes. flow. And for, I think for you and I, and like you said, you don't have to be a musician, but you can tell when a writer 
doesn't love music or just is it, music isn't a part of them. There are certain people, always bizarre to me, who just they don't care about music. They don't like it. They, like, I don't know, whatever. I could tell you to leave it. I'm like, what? Yeah. It's the lifeblood. But yeah. something about the way their brains developed or whatever, it just doesn't resonate with them. But I think it does. I, I would challenge them and say, you've got to at least appreciate music enough or, or, or sort of get those rhythms inside of you. Cause like you said, it's, it's almost like a metronome kind of going yes. off in your head as you write and you can feel if it, if it's not in rhythm. It's gotta be the same with you with doing stand up. when you're working in your workshop and you come up with a line, how often is that the line you end up with? I mean, when you go back and you start to edit and you say, okay, I got the, the funny down, or I got the, the thing down where at least I'm getting the point across. Then you want to craft it. So it's, it kind of sings, right? Not 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 that you're going to sing it up, right. but that it there's. I mean, you can tell a joke badly. You say, "Oh, I told that wrong. It was right." But right. That's because the punchline or the setup was probably originally constructed when you heard it and liked it so much in a very careful manner, where the words came came in the right order, where where it kind of danced and it and it, it bebopped its way, and then often the punchline is often pause. And then two words that just that just send you to the floor laughing, holding your gut. Right. Yes, it's right. Exactly right. And, you and you know, you're sort of, um, what else, sort of, I'm not lulling, you're instructing the crowd with your rhythm. Now, that doesn't mean that you're being, setting up a predictable rhythm. I do know comics who do that, right? They really rely on this almost hypnotic effect to their material to sort of cue the audience when to laugh. And frankly, it, it it doesn't last. It can't hold up for like 30 or 45 minutes, you know? Because if this, like you said, if the substance isn't there, the audience will tire of it. It takes that combination of substance moving the story forward and that lyrical rhythm to keep people really engaged. When you get th all those three things working together, man, it's lights out. People can't resist. Yes. Exactly. Let's let's. I love your nickel letter, John. Everybody knows that's yeah. My, why, that's my why don't you read that that paragraph okay. you like so much? And well, I will skip down and I'll I'll read another one. Let's let's see if if you naturally pick up the rhythm mm -hmm. that that I was saying. But read it in your in your radio voice. Just okay. So I just really grabbed this at random, but also pay attention to how the story's moving forward here. So the subhead is these sick jerks actually enjoy hurting and humiliating people. This is a self-defense letter I wrote for a um, for a client, just to let people know. Yep. So then it says, anyway, on this particular night, an ordinary-looking man named Chris Clugston made the mistake of driving out to this isolated warehouse. He thought he was going to see a band play music, maybe find a nice girl to dance with, have some fun on a hot summer night. He didn't have much money on him. After paying the cover to get inside and ordering a beer... All he had left was one little nickel in his pocket. Remember that, a single nickel. Not even enough to leave a tip at the makeshift bar. And you know, and, and you just reminded me of something, which is that a the test of this is having someone else re read your copy. Mm -hmm. That's what speechwriters do. They if they write write it with and don't have somebody say it out loud that doesn't know them that doesn't hasn't memorized the copy and they see where people stumble over words when they're trying to say it. Well, people read they will stumble over words too. Mm -hmm. That particular paragraph you just read, I remember editing. I spent a lot of time on that, mm -hmm. and I took out multiple things. I really slimmed it down from what it was before. It made it very tight and that tightness of it. And there's still some adjectives in there and there's there's a lot of active power verbs. 
but it's it's stripped down. Yeah. Um, well, I can imagine you did spend a lot of time on this exact paragraph because it's the crux of yeah. this turning point in the story. And it, what I love about that, even just this paragraph of copy, is this guy is so alone. And by the way, if they could, it, maybe we'll paste this up so people can see. You did exactly what you said earlier. It's italicized where it says, one little nickel. And you yeah. think, like, that could be a, a title of a song. One yeah. little nickel. I mean, you can hear it, right? And it's not one tiny nickel. It's one little nickel for a reason. It's got that, you know? And, and again, so I don't know if you thought it probably through to that degree. It's just that so much of this is instinctive when you are conscious of writing in a lyrical way. Yeah, I, th I, 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 when, I, when I'm editing, and all this, all this stuff happens in editing. And that's, you know, that's why we talk about writing. Good writing is, is rewriting, going back and and reading it. And when I read it, I don't read it out loud, but I do read it. I, I, I guess the clunkers, the bad words, the the misshapen sentences, the lack of any of any rhythm kind of pops out of me, but not in those terms. It's just, that's wrong. That doesn't sound right to me. And I'm always, I'm always trying to craft it, but I'm not crafting it to the idea of the beat that is internal. And that, that is almost unconscious when it comes out, it is that way. And yes, it, it is definitely from playing music. So for someone who doesn't play an instrument, I've often said, just, just go take some music lessons. Go get yourself a keyboard, have a, have a teacher come in and don't try to learn really hard stuff. Just say, I want to know three tunes that I can sit down on any piano anywhere and play like one piece from Beethoven and one little honky tonk thing and one lick from a rock and roll song or something, just something you can play. So you can get the, the idea of what's going on with those funny looking black and white keys on this keyboard and what it, and what it sounds like it's it, it'll wake up another part of your head mm -hmm. especially if you start sitting down at keyboards and understanding where the next hit a note and then what next note do you want to hit and what does that do there are emotional connections to notes you hit if you hit half a step up that's kind of that actually has a uh, kind of a feel to it. If you hit a, if you hit a minor note next to whatever first note you hit, and you don't even know, you don't even need to know the names of these. But there's a reason why people play in minor keys as opposed to major keys. Why major sevenths are used is because of the emotional value inside of those chords or the or or, or the nature of, of 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 the way the music is. Minor is very sad mm -hmm. or it's very contemplative. It's there. There's it's not a dirge exactly, but there's there, there's a sense of it not being happy and peppy. Yeah. And if you want to do that, it's all major stuff. So so just knowing that, just knowing that simple thing, you can write in a minor key or, or in a major key. You can you know, you, you can you can actually start to think about the lyrical nature, not just writing it like a pop song, but writing it like a someone speaking at, at a funeral, for example, or someone speaking at a wedding or someone speaking sternly to someone. I mean, there's 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 all kinds of these little musical things that 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 go go into all this. So I, I don't think we can teach anybody how to do this right now, doing right. it this way. We can only point out that grab a Grab a letter by Paris Lampopoulos. Did I pronounce that right? Lampropolis. Lampropolis. I, 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 I always call him the Greek. So, but grab a grab a piece by Paris, by Clayton, make piece, by you know David Deutsch, any any of the, of the top writers. Grab grab a handful of stuff that, that Kevin's written, and and look at it and think about how 
if if a line or a paragraph really sings to you, how, how was I mean, what kind of beat were they using there? How was that? How was that played out? And yeah. and that's and that's the key. That's that's all I had was just enough of an idea that that there was something to the idea of having music involved in writing and then taking it that way. I wasn't taught that. I never read that anywhere else. Although I'm sure I'm not the first one to notice the the lyrical nature of good stuff. Certainly poetry, you know, depends on oh, on, yeah. on rhythm. But people get caught up. You you read some Shakespeare. It's not. Like, you know, there was a young girl from Dublin. You know, it's not that kind of poetry. It's it's more of a the way the words play out. That's why writers love Shakespeare so much is the way the words play out. You know, they don't rhyme. There's there's not, but there is kind of a meter to it. There's a there's a way that the things are laid out. You couldn't have most of what he wrote written in a different way. It wouldn't come across the same. Mm. And so just just knowing that is this huge insight into how why great writing is revered so much. And that's just by that's just the literary aspect. What we're talking about is the sales aspect, which is finding the greased skid, you know, the, the greased skids into your prospect's brain. The fastest and smoothest way to get in there without causing chaos or a lot of fuss and just get in there and, and you know, and de- deliver your message. And this is one of the one of the greatest ways to do that. Yeah, this is that effect where people will say, I, I don't even know why I couldn't stop reading, right? Because it's it, it is sort of hypnotic in the sense that it's instructing their most basic reaction. And again, it goes all the way back from, you know, generations before we were on this earth of what's inbred in us, survival mechanisms, hints towards love and sex and, and all these things. I want to read another piece of the nickel letter because okay. it, it this is even more lyrical. And again, just so all three elements going on here, moving the story forward, increasing the drama in that lyrical content. So then we get down to after this fight is about to go down. And it says, well, what would, what would you have done? You know in your heart you run the risk every day of being in the same situation, cornered by punks who want, want to do you and your family too, if they're nearby, serious harm. It's not even connected to robbery anymore. They don't want your nickel. They want the thrill of stomping your face into hamburger. It's <laughs> <laughs> just such a great line. And yeah. even the even the parenthetical there and your family too, if they're nearby, stays into that rhythm, right? And, yes. And so, like you said, John, this can be, this has the way to teach this is to point it out, is to make people conscious of it. And so, like John said, you read all of John's stuff, Clayton stuff, Paris, Deutsch, the greats, and you go, hmm. That is one thing, no matter how different the subject matter might be or even how the piece did, they'll all have that lyrical quality. And it's no coincidence that all those people play music. Yes, I, would, that, I, I, I think that's, that's the best way I've ever put it or heard it put was, was tying that up. Because it's easy to tell everybody, go, go learn an instrument and get some musical qualities into your writing. It's, it's much more important to know that it's being done and you've been reading this all along. You know who else to read is uh, like Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Now, he does play with music in the background. It does play, he does write with yeah. music in the background. 
And for a long time, it was just ACDC. But I don't think he's writing to the beat. He just likes the music. He's able to segment his mind. Mm -hmm. And and there are some writers who are able to write with music. I, I need complete silence. There's probably two basic camps of writers. Those who need complete silence and those who don't care if bombs are going off next to them. They're going to get it. <laughs> Halbert used to write some of his best stuff on a on a back of an envelope on his knee in the middle of an airport <laughs> while they're boarding his plane. So I, I don't know how he's able to do that. So yeah. what was I saying? I yeah, I just saying. about how oh. you know pointing it out and being conscious of it. Yeah. So so that's that's not a good segue, but we should talk about that's you know being you type right. of thing. Should, yeah, should work into that. Yeah, that's how this all ties together. Is that in in the reason I wanted to do uh, add incorporate music and particularly having you Paris has agreed to play a song or two. You know who knows who else would show up and and be on stage. I know that uh, Jeremy Hunsicker, who was one step away from becoming the new singer of Journey, before he had a horrible accident with his voice in a in a wayward fog machine <laughs> smoke wow. machine yeah terrible uh, tragic story but who knows he's pr- probably happier for not having to be on the road the rest of his life but angie coley sings with the band it, the point is all these people are writers and i, I want and i'll do stand-up at the same show because what i premise is i want you to see it learn it and then feel it because it's not just about observing what I do, what John does, but I want to, I want to show you in sort of black and white, here is how I infuse comedic, my copywriting with comedic formulas. So I could show it to you, uh, but then if you see me on stage performing stand-up, you'll see that I'm sort of this exaggerated version of myself, and then you'll, yeah. you'll be laughing and you'll feel it. And the point is, like, that's why you do it, because that's when you can get an emotional reaction from your reader. John, we've just read you some of these things that have such emotional impact. And when you see John up there, how does his face look while he's playing? Like, you know, just, just his whole... Slack jawed, nearly, nearly <laughs> drooling. <laughs> <laughs> By the third song, you're you're barely uh, conscious, but uh, yeah, I'm only gonna do half. <laughs> but here's the thing: I and, and it's again not just for you to be in awe of. Uh, oh, look at these! You know, I want you to come away from this event going, man, what's that thing that I do? Maybe I need to pick up that guitar again, or maybe there's uh, some some hobby or something that you left behind because you got too busy with your writing or your business. And my message is that. You've got to make time for that. You've got to incorporate it into your life. You've got to wake up that part of your brain. John, you know, since I went through that journey last fall and, you know, to do the show in January, which we've mm-hmm. talked about quite a bit, I'm just not the same person anymore. It's it's truly, it is, I finally, I feel complete again. I had no idea that this part of me had gone dormant and I only realize now that I feel full again that I was sort of half there for a long time. And I did well. I managed. But, man, I tell you, when you wake up this other thing, it excites parts of your brain that you didn't even know were asleep. I think it's part of the entrepreneurial journey to leave a part of you behind. It's almost... It's almost built into the script that you're going to leave. You're going to, you you enter the journey with too much luggage. 
just like a lot of packs and you're literally walking down the yellow brick road with Dorothy and you've you got a big backpack on you got a you got a, a, a valise you're carrying in one hand and a sack full of stuff in another and you're you're pushing a little cart with some other stuff and you start losing stuff and you trim stuff down and it's better to to, to work especially in the early years of any entrepreneurial activity as stripped down as you can you don't it's very hard to keep a lot of things going you really got to focus on the job and it's going to take a lot of your time yeah but some of the some of the packs we put down weren't meant to be put down and lost mm. i think you put them down you bury them you mark them and you come back and you get them later and that would be like what you did with stand up mm. you know when my i was playing all through high school and all through college and uh, didn't and, and kind of stopped playing music after college and and just let it go dormant and went after my writing career and did that for many years. But the, one of the first things I did when I took a hiatus from my uh, writing career is to first I, I wrote a, one really bad novel just to say I wrote one before I was 40. But it was that was part of it was writing some fiction. Hadn't written any fiction in 10 years. But the next thing was I went to an open mic night and I played three songs and I met some musicians and then I started going on. Before I knew it, I was asked to be, you know, I was sitting in with bands and then I actually formed my own band for a while. So the mid 90s was all in my 40s was all about me getting back in touch with that thing, that 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 pack I'd put away, you know, 15 years prior where I, I'd still played guitar a little bit, but only privately and and never never publicly and certainly wasn't wasn't in a band. So I went back and I did that. Now for other people, you know, people looking at me might call that a midlife crisis and I call it a midlife crisis, but I've I've had about five midlife crises in my life. So it started in my 20s and went all the way through and I had one just recently. I've enjoyed the hell out of every single one <laughs> because I know they're coming. I prepare for them, and I I don't try to make it any bigger of a deal than it is. And for me, it was I needed to play music. It was like, why am I ignoring this? I, why am I stomping the neck of this, you know, this internal John who wants to play guitar and wants to do it in a bar band in front of a bunch of drunk bikers? What what's wrong with that? Mm -hmm. uh, if you're able to pull it off. And for you, it was getting back on stage in front of a, a crowd of drunks who are going to laugh at your at at your at your material. For somebody who's surfing, you know, I, I don't know, I don't want I don't want anybody to go out and get hurt and take up competitive skiing again because they tried it once when they were sixteen. But you know, a lot of the guys that a lot of the marketers, you know, Frank Kern, Jason Moffat, those guys, they're all surfers, hard hardcore surfers. Yeah, Shramko, uh, Neil, Neil Strauss, Shramko, uh, James James Shramko. They, you know, they they picked up surfing and it it spoke to them. It it whatever it was. And you can't tell me because I've done I I did a lot of body surfing. I didn't do board surfing. Very little of that. Mostly I was a body surfer. I preferred being at one with the ocean and that feeling. I can describe to you. It take me a while to describe it. But that feeling of being enveloped by the by the ocean, by the power of the ocean, and you're feeling it this way. I'm not standing on a board. It's me, my body, maybe one fin, sometimes not even a fin, mm. and being taken by the wave and just shooting forward and then, you know, doing cuts and, and backs and, and going, th going through all of that. I mean, the, the ocean is a hugely powerful, primal thing. We all come from the ocean. And and I think about it a lot. It's it's a dreamlike state. So I know that the surfers that I've talked to, even though not all of them, you know, become verbal about it, but the guys who 
who go into marketing and write certainly will write about it. And there's a spiritual element to it. There's an emotional element to it. There's an intellectual uh, element of it. And there's the, um, what would be the other one? I'm missing one. But anyway, it's the same stuff that goes into writing a, a sales letter. Mm-hmm. You have you have to bring all of the senses into play, everything. The the good, the bad, the dangerous, the the wonderment, you know, that you know, I, I was I was like to talk about the strange, wonderful, and scary as hell experience of living life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just a wonderful ride. It's there's gonna be moments of hair raising terror. There's going to be moments of boredom. There's going to be the whole the whole enchilada is a very complex enchilada. Mm-hmm. So so part of, part of living large, you know, but part of being a great writer is being a great liver of life. Liver of life. That's a lousy line. <laughs> that, would, that would get edited out. But it's you know it's it's living life large. It's it's embracing everything and chewing up some scenery as you go, mm-hmm. and not letting those little feelings of fear like. Uh, you know, you you had a little bit of fear, I think, when you were going back on stage. Before I got up in front of my first bar band, you know, having not done it for 15 years or more and just and actually, you know, leading the band rather than being a sideman. I, I, you know, I, I was I was a little nervous, but it dissipated as soon as I got into the first song and things started grooving and we were making it work. So and, you know, and you have bad nights. You don't always yeah. have good nights. You're going to play to a heckler. Yeah. I'm going to play in front of a, a bartender and a bored waitress who doesn't like what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, when I'm playing. And, you know, so it's not you got to take the bad with the good. But guess what? That's what goes into great writing. That's the experience you bring to the to the table when you sit down and want to write something. It's going to grab somebody, haul them into your letter and let them know that you have something of value to offer them. That's going to help them change their life. And you, you can just segue right into that, you know. Yeah, awesome. surfing, skiing, yeah. A, a lot of the physical stuff, but also, also all all the intellectual stuff. Anything you've done that really grabbed you, and if you haven't done anything that really grabbed you in your life, what the hell have you been doing with your life? How how what have you been doing that you've been denying yourself the pleasures of the outrageous passion that is available to every single human out there? Who just has to get, has has to kind of unlock it. I, uh, people do lock it up, but it's often a conscious choice to do that, or maybe it's been beaten into you over the years. But you know, unlock it. You can unlock it yourself. It's your brain. It's your mind. It's your passion. Awesome. Yeah, man, I love it. You get fired up, John. Very cool. It is one very large enchilada, as you said. Yeah, <laughs> it's a complex enchilada. That should be the title of this episode. Yeah, um, yeah, the big enchilada. Awesome. So that's it. And look, we're going to do our best. We're going to teach this to you. Put it on display. Help you be aware of it as tactically as possible. Break it down and show it to you. It really becomes about choices. But again, if you're if you're available, if you're hanging out there in October, October 9th and 10th, we're half sold out. But this is where it's all happening right here in St. Pete, Florida. And you know John must love me if he's agreed to come to Florida. <laughs> At least it's Florida. October, not August. <laughs> My city's cool. You're gonna love it here. So that's where it's gonna happen. We're gonna we're gonna teach it to you during the day. We're gonna show it to you during the night so you can learn it and feel it. And it's Copy Chief Live. And John, thanks for being a part of it again. Thanks for sharing this wisdom. I've you know, you were my guy so many years ago when I first discovered this craft. It was your writing that I just went, 
It was it was like hearing rock and roll in in writing in my oh, mind the way nice. I read it, and I and that's why I went. You were the guy to, for me to go. Oh, this can be cool. This is actually really cool. And so, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if that part of it always becomes about numbers and selling. But yeah. man, if we're just talking about writing and really enjoying the writing, I think this is one of the most exciting aspects of it. So, well, the the good part is that it does usually lead to successful, <laughs> successful right. sales. So, yeah, because so, okay. that passion comes across. So, all right, thanks, John. I'll see you in October, my man. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll see you there. Thanks. Bye bye. 